Once more, good morning, everyone. Welcome to you, all you guys in Cafe, uh, Isaac Pittman, the band. God bless you guys. Thanks for leading us in worship today. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Welcoming back uh, our mission team from Southeast Asia last week. Uh, Our guys had a tough week, and and they'll perhaps tell the story later. Uh, We forget the price that others pay for the sake of the gospel. We just forget. We celebrate the conversions that happened last week uh, in this particular country, but we forget uh, that those who have confessed Christ now in that place, in that culture, um, their lives just got harder. And we just forget that. In the very country where our guy shared the gospel last week, last week in the news, I saw that there were two Christians beaten publicly. There were two Christians beaten publicly. We forget. We are very forgetful. But I praise God that our men have returned safely. I I praise God for those who are still on the ground there sharing the gospel, uh, doing hard, hard work for the sake of the gospel. Uh, They do it where it's hard, and you and I will hardly do it where it's easy. And and that brings great shame to us. Um, Luke chapter 22 is where we'll be this morning. We're talking about spiritual disciplines, which I suppose is... Very appropriate for us. Uh, The only way to be with Jesus and become like Jesus is to train for that. This does not come automatically or naturally for you and me. We tend to like life to be easy. We tend to do the things that we just feel like doing. And there are certain things that you never feel like doing. You just have to make yourself do it. You have to make yourself do it until it does become automatic, until it simply does become the way that you live your life. And that's why spiritual disciplines matter. Again, this is a definition that we've started with. Spiritual disciplines are biblical practices that when done regularly allow us to be with Jesus and become like Jesus, transforming us by the power and beauty of the gospel. There are multiple ways to do this, and I'm not saying that any one or two of these ways is the only way you can grow in Christ, but I think you've got to do something. You have to do something. You're not necessarily going to grow in Jesus just by getting in the car and driving to church on Sunday morning or listening to a podcast. It is just not going to work that way. The natural sinful self that, that you are, that, that you were born as, it just doesn't give up that easily. You've got to fight and crucify that self every single day. It takes some exertion on my part and your part. And that's just why we talk about discipline, spiritual discipline. And this entire message series entitled CrossFit is, is intended to engage us in the every dailiness of growing in Jesus, which brings us to Luke chapter 22, this amazing discipline that Jesus talks about here. And it is a discipline, even though for some of us, we, we've never thought of it this way. It's just the discipline of serving, the, the, the discipline of serving others. Read with me, Luke chapter 22. The setting is the Last Supper. In this worship service, we have just been to the Lord's table. We've just had the bread and the cup and remembered the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the first time that that supper was instituted. Jesus has just explained the bread and the cup to his disciples. They've just shared that together. And then Jesus talks about how he's about to be betrayed and turned over into the hands of sinners. And, and then this happens. Inexplicably, this happens. Verse 24. 
Then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Okay, did, did, did I skip a page? They begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a, say the word, servant. Who's more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You know the story of, of Samson, Old Testament book of Judges? It's all about Samson. I mean, it is. His life was all about himself. I mean, Samson lived for himself. He was the strong man that, that God had blessed. He was born from such humble, selfless parents, but he inherited none of that. I mean, Samson was about Samson. Everything he did was for himself. He was strong, but he used all of his strength for himself. He followed his appetites. He got what he wanted because there was nobody in Samson's life big enough to tell him no. Remember first time he fell in love? I mean, we probably, we probably say he fell in love, and, and Samson probably says he fell in love, but Samson never loved nobody but Samson. What he saw was a girl who looked good to him. That's the way the scripture describes it. She looks good to me. I have got to have her, is what he says. Samson, see, girl, girl look good. Samson, one girl. I mean, it's that sort of thing. And so, so they get him the girl, and because uh, nobody told Samson no. As the story goes, Samson threw himself a party. Because Samson would do that sort of thing, throw himself a party. It did not go well. Parties you throw for yourself never go well, but most of us like Samson, we never learned that. So he throws himself a party, makes himself the center of attention. It does not go well. By the end of the party, this girl that he loved, she ran off with his future best man. Which enraged Samson because Samson's used to getting what he wants. And so if you read the story, Samson burned the place down. Because he's Samson. That's the kind of thing Samson does. That started a big war with the Philistines. So the Philistines sent an army out after Samson. Samson, if you know the story, went out to a carcass of a dead animal, got the jawbone, and killed like a thousand guys with a jawbone. And then he named that place Jawbone Hill. As if it was Samson's prerogative to name places. You understand? That was Samson just named a place because he's Samson. Lived his whole life that way. He's Samson, y'all. It's the story of Samson, and he's Samson, the star of the show. Now, usually, he just got himself a prostitute, you know, because he just sort of used women. He had a hunger for women like you have a hunger for a Big Mac, so like a Big Mac attack. And if he wanted a woman, usually just a prostitute would do, you know, because everybody's just there to serve Samson's needs. But then there's this woman, Delilah. Now, again, the scripture says he loved her, but you'd have to question Samson's definition of love. It looks to me more like he used her. Now, he says love. He means control. You know, he used her, but she used him too. It's like Samson finally got the woman he deserved. You know the story, right? I mean, he used her. She used him. Ultimately, his arrogance defeats him. 
And he is subdued. He is captured. He is shaved. He is blinded. And he is put in a dungeon in the darkness. Yeah, that's Samson's story. But, but, but there's one more moment. It's at the very end of his life. The Philistines, the enemies of God's people, were throwing this big festival giant feast and this is like back in the days before large screen televisions so they needed some entertainment and somebody thought hey what about that big muscle guy samson whatever happened to him and they said he's in the basement blind and bald they said bring him out that sounds hilarious they brought him up just to mock him just to make fun, just to declare that their God was great, that the God of Samson and the Israelites was nothing. And Samson was living testimony to that nothingness. He was crushed. He was nothing. He hadn't seen the light of day in years. They drag old Samson out of the dungeon, the big has-been hero crushed down to zero. So they bring him out. He's mocked. He's laughed at. He stands between the two main pillars of the temple. And then it's like that's the moment that his whole life had been waiting for. Because in that moment, something shifted in in his heart. Something shifted in Samson's heart. In In that moment... And it was no longer about Samson. In that moment, it was no longer about him. He prayed, which I think might be the first time he actually called out to God. He prays, and he prays for strength because he knows he doesn't have it anymore. Prays for strength that he doesn't have. And in one last moment, he presses his arms against the pillars of the temple. And he gives his life away. Do you understand? He gives his life away. And in that moment, the scripture says God was able to do more with him. In that last moment of surrender, in that final moment when Samson is no longer thinking about Samson, in that final moment when he is willing to give his life for something bigger than himself, in that moment, God does more. God has a bigger victory out of this final moment of of surrender than in all of the battles of that strong man's life okay so what's the moral of the story very simply if you live and fight only for yourself when you get to the end of your life the only thing you'll have to show for yourself will be yourself understand you live for yourself and yourself is all you get and at the end of everything you're going to find out you ain't much If you live your whole life only for yourself, when you get to the end, you'll have nothing to show for yourself but yourself. And that is going to be devastating for you. I I know you think that you're amazing. Your life is only truly lived in the moments when you give your life away. It's the story of Samson. It's the story of Jesus. Jesus said, whoever wants to hang on to their life, they lose it. 
The more you grasp at it, the more you hang on to it, the more you crave to be something, you become more and more nothing. You only truly live in the moments when you're not trying to live for yourself. you got to give your life away. We're Christians, right? We follow after Jesus, right? So Jesus was at the table with his disciples. He was trying to explain it to those boneheads. He explained to them how, how he would die and th- three days rising. And he, he, he took the bread at the table and he said, this bread is like my, my body broken. And they just ate and wiped their mouth. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is like my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sinners. And they all drank and wiped their mouths. And then... Jesus in anguish explained his suffering. And Jesus in anguish explained how somebody at that very table would betray him. That, that, that before morning would come, that he would be betrayed by a friend and into the hands of sinners. And Jesus is pouring out his life for them. And somehow in the middle of that, they get distracted. It's crazy. They get distracted by a little conversation that starts sort of among them. And what was the conversation? Hey, which one of us y'all thinks the greatest? Jesus is talking about suffering. My blood poured out, my my body broken. But somehow, as Jesus was talking about that, they start thinking about, I wonder which one of us could pee the farthest. I mean, this is how they are. This is the way their minds work. Which one of us is greatest? Which, which one of us is smartest? Which one, of, which one of us you think could, I think I could bench press this whole table. You know, they're just those guys that suddenly forget all about what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's sort of the Lord's Supper, but not in their minds because every supper is all about them. Which one of us you think could be greatest? When, when Jesus gets to his kingdom, you know, he's talking about suffering, but they're, they're thinking about the kingdom. And when they get there, maybe who could sit on his left and right? I, I want a tall crown with, with jewels, you know, and I want to wear a robe, man. Which one of us do you think could be the greatest? Somehow Jesus doesn't just, I mean, because he's Jesus. I mean, at that moment, I don't understand his restraint. I don't understand his ability simply to reason with these morons. But but Jesus just simply says, fellas, in this world, kings and, and great men, they lord it over people. See, Jesus stops and sort of explains to them how the world works. As if they don't know. Jesus says in in the world. When he says in the world, he's talking about all the other places apart from where Jesus himself is. In in the world, that's what people do. They want to be better. They want to be greater. They want to be better looking. They want to be richer. They look at themselves, they compare themselves to others, and they always want to be on top. They always engage in this race, this rush to the top. In the world, that's how it works, Jesus says. At work, that's how it is. It's, it's kind of cutthroat. You don't have any friends at work 
But because at work, it's, it's every man for himself, every woman for herself, dog eat dog. I mean, that's the world we live in. And Jesus stops to explain it to them like they don't know. They obviously know. That's the whole game they're playing here. Which one of us is greatest? You know, when they paint that picture of this supper, which one of us is going to be the better looking, you know? Everybody get on the same side of the table so you can get in the picture. You know, that's how they operate. Jesus says, you know, that's how the world works. You guys get it. You understand how the world works. But that's not how it works here. This is Jesus. It's these amazing four words, as Andy Stanley says. Amazing four words that Jesus speaks here in this passage. He says, in the world, people act like this. They lord it over other people. They use their power to, to advance themselves. But that's not how it's going to be with you. That's not how it is with us. That's not how it is with me, Jesus says. Not so with you four magic words describing the body of Christ. That's not how it is with us. Jesus says, now in the world, who's the greatest? The one that sits at the table and gets served? Or the one who's serving? Obviously in the world, it's the one who sits and gets served. Man, we love that. I love that idea that people might, you know, just sort of revolve around me and make my light shine brighter. I I love that. I love to say thank you at Chick-fil-A and hear them say my pleasure. You kidding? It pleases you to serve me? I have found my restaurant. Man, if I could just get a spoonful of that and give it to everybody else in my life, where they just be pleased to serve me, would I be in heaven? My goodness. That's how the world works. Jesus says, who's the greatest? The one who's, who's being served or the one who's served? Well, in the world, it's the one who gets served. But Jesus says, that's not how it's going to be with us. Jesus says, I am among you. It's one who serves. I'm not here to be served. He's already proven that. Remember when they all arrived at the supper? And I don't know if you understand how they used to eat. They would have had a low table, and everybody sort of reclines around on cushions and on the floor. But if you're eating laying down, you're like, if I'm eating up here, that means my feet are like in Rod's face. Because you know, that's how it works. And so, before you would be at the table, man, I mean, somebody had to wash feet. I mean, you know, which one of you D-Now people had like seventh grade boys this weekend? Had D-Now weekend youth in all of our homes. Seventh grade boys? You know, they've been at my house before. I've got connections. They're never coming back to my house. <laughs> one reason. Have you ever been in a house with the doors and windows closed up when seventh grade boys take off their shoes? Man, three years ago, boys took off their shoes in our house. I said, Casey, we're going to have to move when this is over. We can't live here anymore. I mean, I came to church with secondhand stink. Man, true story. Man, like, oh, it's awful. So, so these men are at the table with their feet, you know, because somebody's got to wash feet. We've got to eat here. But see, foot washing was the, it's like the job nobody wants. Peter and James and John, all these stinky feet, man, old men's feet, man, never, never seen a pair of toenail clippers in years and 
toe jam and junk. It's just like, man, somebody needs to be washing feet around here. I mean, that's how they are. They walk in thinking, man, who's going to do this? I mean, we need to serve a servant, you know, servant. Hey, call downstairs to see if they send a foot washer up. But while the men are, are just, you know, waiting around for somebody else, the scripture says that, that Jesus took off his robe, picked up a towel, and a water base. Peter said, no, no, you're not, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not washing my feet, Jesus. You're not doing it. Jesus said, Peter, you don't get any of this. I am among you as one who serves, Jesus says. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to learn to serve. In the world out there, people take care of themselves. In the world out there, people want to be first. They think about themselves first, and they think about themselves only. I mean, that's how the world works. I don't need to explain it to you, but maybe I need to explain the way of Christ to you. That's not how it is with us. Not so with you, Jesus says. You don't think like that. You don't put yourself first. You're not at work trying to advance yourself. It's not how it is with you you. You're not at school trying to make sure that you're the bully and not the one being bullied. That's not how it works with you. That's not how it is with us. You don't go home and pile up in your chair, sir, and start waiting for your wife to wait on you hand and foot. That's not how it is with us. You don't get to bark out orders. You you don't get to wait for somebody to come and wash your feet. That's not how it is with us, Jesus says. It's not so with you. It's not how it works. We don't walk in church and say, man, somebody ought to do something about the fingerprints on on the brass plate. Went in the men's room one day at church and somebody spit their gum out in the urinal. That's just gross. That's just gross. Because, you know, you spit your gum out, you know it ain't going to flush. Somebody's going to have to come and get your gum out of that urinal. That's gross, dude. Chew it till you get home. Swallow it whole. Do whatever you need to do. But the point is, you just spit that out with no concern whatsoever for whoever it is that's going to have to come behind you and put their hand in the urinal and take care of your gum. Who in the world do you think you are? Who in the world? But this is how we think. We don't think about others. We think about ourselves. You're just thinking, it's gum. It's lost. It's lost its flavor. It's all you care about. That disgusting gum out of your mouth. Get yourself a new stick of juicy fruit that you can put under the pew later. Yeah. Yeah. Just live your life that way. Absolutely. Go out in the parking lot. Get yourself two parking places. You know, because you need some room. I want people coming in here, bumping up against you. There's some room. Yeah, man, this is us. This is us. Except Jesus says that's not how it is with us. It's not how we think. But it is how we think. Even the disciples in that very room, even after Jesus had washed their feet, 
Even after that, they still just can't help having the discussion, which one of us you think is the greatest? It's hard. It's hard. It's very, very difficult to learn this lesson. And that's why it's going to take discipline. Remember, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines work for this very sort of thing. Spiritual disciplines are good for you to relearn the things that, that, that you can't learn any other way. Physical disciplines are the way for you to learn. Spiritual disciplines are the way for you to learn to make automatic, which doesn't come automatically for you. So here we go. The very best way to stop thinking of yourself first is to start practicing putting others first. You, you, you practice. See, attitude and behavior are connected. I'm not Dr. Phil or Oprah or nothing, and I'm not a psychologist. I just know that attitude and behavior are linked somehow. And I don't know what comes first. I I just don't. I don't know if I act selfish because I am selfish, or maybe I am selfish because I act selfish. I I don't know. I don't know. All I know is, though, if if y'all are waiting until I no longer am selfish before I stop acting selfishly, y'all going to be here a long time. So here's the thing. I, I believe that we have to put behavior first. I am selfish. I think about myself, but I've got to learn, as Jesus says, to die to myself every day. And what that means is I, I die to myself. I stop asking myself what I think about it. I stop asking myself how I feel about it. I stop asking myself what I want to do today. I just stop thinking of myself at all. I just give that up. I no longer make myself my first consideration. I just have to start practicing putting others first. It starts with Casey, my wife at home. I have to consider her first. What does she need from me? Long before I start thinking, what can she do for me? understand? I have to practice this, and you have to practice this too. This is not automatic for most of us. And that's why the discipline becomes important. You got to make yourself stop acting like you want to act. You get to make yourself stop making everything about yourself. You get to make yourself begin to serve other people because you, like Jesus, are among us as one who serves. We're all servants. This is why you live. This is your purpose in life. It's for others. It's not for yourself. Not at all. Let's just tell the truth here. Ready? Let's tell the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. Serving is usually hard. It stinks, y'all. It stinks. Serving is is difficult. It's awful. We don't like it. It's time-consuming. I didn't have it on my schedule to take care of you today. But all of a sudden, here you are. i got to stop what I was going to do, and I've got to take care of you. It's time-consuming, and it's thankless. Most of us would serve if we always got, you know, a reward. It's like when you were a kid and your mama said, I want you to clean your room. And you say, well, if I clean my room, what do I get? My mama would say, well, you get to live here, you know, another week. Man, we want thank yous. Man, if we're not appreciated, we're done. It's always thankless, y'all. You're waiting for a thank you from people in this world. You're going to be waiting a long time. It's thankless. And there will always be something more enjoyable you could be doing instead. Always. Always. Because almost anything is more enjoyable than serving. When Jesus talks about serving, the example he used was foot washing. 
which was the most mundane, the, the lowest, most menial task that he had that he could have even used in his culture. It's like the lowest, it's the thing nobody, I mean, all of these other men in the room are sitting there. I mean, they would rather not have it done than get down and do it themselves. They just complain about the service at this upper room. And next time we have a last supper, we're going with somebody somewhere else, a better service. Serving is hard. It's time consuming. It's thankless. There'll always be something more enjoyable you could be doing. I mean, you get over it. This is what we're talking about. It's exactly what Jesus is. This is the stuff we're talking about. You know, it, it, it's odd, and I'll sound like a preacher all of a sudden, but in, in a church our size, it's frustrating that, that the most behind-the-scenes jobs, the lowest jobs, nobody wants to do. I mean, Nicole Buckman, our children's pastor, she begs and begs and begs and begs for people to go take care of children here. Why is that? If we're all servants... And everybody's here to serve. Why is it we have so few people who are willing to serve? You know, who, you know who's serving today in this church? Whoever it is back there right now up to their elbows in baby poop. Whoever it is back there changing your kid's diaper, your grandkid's diaper, man. That's to serve it. You think they're back there because they wouldn't rather be sitting out here with their families? I mean, you think that? Uh, you, you think they're back there because they didn't have anything else? Or you think they're back there because all of those, you know, children with no, no teeth in their head are going to say thank you? There's no thank yous back there. You know, sometimes parents pick them up and complain. You know, if they got like Cheeto dust on their chin. You know, I mean, pick up and, and complain. I mean, this is what happens when you serve. You might get a complaint before you get a thank you. And this is just what it's like. It's time consuming. Y'all sitting in here, you say, Pastor Tim, when you preach, time just evaporates. I could listen to hear, I could hear you preach forever. Sometimes I pause and say, I'm sorry, you all, I've gone, I've gone over. I'm sorry, I've gone over. I shouldn't have looked at my watch. And y'all say, oh, Pastor Tim, you just keep going. It's good. But the nursery people are thinking, what is wrong with him? When is he ever? That's no joke. Out here, time just flies. We're singing and talking. When it's all over, you're going to talk to your friends. You'll pick up your children on Tuesday. And the nursery workers are thinking, where are these parents? You know, it's hard back there. And that's why you don't want to do it. That's why some of you say, I've done my time, man. When my kids was back there, I kept the kids, but now I'm done. Why are you done? When your kids were young, do you not remember there were older folks back there then? They didn't retire. You can't retire either. We're all servants. We do this together. We do all this together. Walk in church and say, man, somebody ought to be doing something about something. Y'all remember the day somebody threw up in the hall? Everybody's walking around it. I had to get a mop. I'm not complaining. I had somebody say, Pastor, I didn't know where there was a mop. Well, but you knew where there was puke. I mean, you know, figure something out. You know, six, seven hundred people walking around and nobody can figure out how to get the puke up. But you know, that's just us. Somebody ought to do something about that. You know, there's a commode overflowing in the bathroom. Warren, Warren, you know, like he's the only person, you know, certified to use a plunger. But, but it's just us, y'all. It's just us. I mean, it's just how we are. Serving is hard. It's time consuming. It's thankless. I mean, nobody says thank you. They just don't. 
they, they just don't. Which brings me to point number two. You'll never be like Jesus until you learn to serve like Jesus. And, and this is what I'm saying. Most of us don't mind serving up to a point. But we got a, we got a limit. And we'll serve up to that limit and then we're done. Now for a lot of us, the limit is when it's no, when it's no fun anymore. I mean, it's fun at first. You know, it's fun at first. You get back there and, and you're doing your job and you're talking to people and you think, this isn't, this isn't so bad. And then you're like, two weeks later, three weeks later, four weeks later, and you're thinking, why am I still back here? Why, is there nobody, why does nobody else do this? Why am I the only one that knows how to do this? And, and, and nobody's appreciating, nobody's standing. The fun is over. and the fun is over, we're done, most of us. When the enjoyment is gone, we're done. Or, or when the appreciation runs out, when nobody says thank you. Most of us, we need thank yous. We need pats on the back. We need lots of attaboy, girl. And, and I'm telling you, if, if, if that's your limit, if that's when you quit, as soon as people stop saying thank you, you're going to quit way too soon. That's not why we serve. We don't serve for thank yous. We don't serve for appreciation. We don't serve because it's fun. We serve because we want to be like Jesus. And Jesus, as you recall poured out his life all the way to the point of death on the cross. In other words, he had no limit. If he had stopped, when people stopped responding, you understand, he never would have made it to the Last Supper. If he stopped when people weren't saying thank you, then he would have stopped when the people in Nazareth were trying to stone him. Understand? He just kept right on pouring his life out, giving his life away, because he understood that was his purpose. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. That's who I am. That's why I'm here. And that's why I do it. You will never be like Jesus until you learn to serve like him. That's why I think the discipline of serving is so important. I know that there are other disciplines, and we're talking about them through this series, and and we're going to talk about the importance of reading your Bible and praying, and all of these things matter. But something tells me that this discipline of serving may be one of the most important at all. It may be the most important of all. Because this really comes down to your way of being in the world. This really comes down to your entire attitude, your posture with other people and with God. It's important to read your Bible, but honestly, serving, that, that's spiritual work. And, and maybe the reason you have no appetite for the Word of God is you don't do any spiritual work. Serving is the work. Serving is what you do as a mature believer, as a person growing in Christ. Something tells me that if you don't serve, you will never grow. Maybe some of the other disciplines are for certain people and not for others, but serving is for everyone. Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. This one is an optional. You don't get to say, well, my goodness, if everybody in the church is going to be serving, they're going to need somebody to serve. Maybe that'll be my gift, being served. No, no, dude, you've been trying that for a long time on us. No. You'll never be like Jesus until you learn to serve like Jesus. You you know the story of Samson. It was was all about Samson. He's a strong man. Nobody in his life big enough to tell him no. So he got everything he wanted. Man, he ripped a trail through his life. 
Killed a thousand men with Jawbone. Named that place Jawbone Hill. Like he got to walk around naming places because he was Samson. He saw a woman. She looked good. He said, I want her. He got her. And then she got him. His arrogance defeated him. He was subdued. He was captured. He was shaved, blinded, thrown away into the darkness. But there was one more moment. There was one more moment when they brought him out, put him between the pillars of the temple. For the first time in that man's life, he prayed. He asked for strength he didn't have. The strong man had no strength. Something in his heart shifted. Way before the temple shifted, something in his heart shifted. And for the first time in his life, it was no longer about himself. What will it take for you, for something to shift in you so that it's no longer just about you? What will it take to subdue you, to capture you, to save you, to blind you, to somehow bring you out blind and bald so that you can, for the first time in your life, see light shining on something other than yourself? Shifted in Samson. For the first time, it was no longer about Samson. And so in that final moment when he was willing to give his life away, he pushed hard between them pillars of the temple and buried the enemies of God with himself. Moral of the story is if you live and fight only for yourself, when you get to the end, you will have nothing to show for yourself but yourself. But your life is truly lived in the moments when you will give your life away. Jesus said, out there in the world with other people who don't know me, Jesus said they're all about themselves, but that's not how it is with you. Pray with me. God, some of us, you know, we, we leave things when we're no longer getting anything out of it. We, we leave marriages, Lord, when it's no longer working for us. Some of us, Lord, we have abandoned all sorts of things that just got hard for us. We lost interest. We lost reward. Nobody said thank you. It was no longer enjoyable for us, Lord. And for us, it is almost always about us. Our favorite TV show is This Is Us. We love to look at ourselves. Oh, but Jesus, if we spend our whole life only looking at ourselves, there is so much of the world and all of you that we will never, ever see. Lord, like Samson, will you let something shift in our hearts? Will you somehow move, move the pillars of the temple inside our hearts so that we will stop worshiping ourselves, our desires, our glory? 
Lord, will you just bring this house down on top of us so that we could once and, and finally learn what it is to give our lives away? And Lord, will you teach us that the more we try to make something out of ourselves, Lord, the more we lose of ourselves, Lord. The more we try to grasp our own glory, Lord, we have nothing and, and we never at the same time learn to see your glory. God, help us. This is hard for us. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take an awful lot to teach us old dogs new tricks. But Lord, teach us what it means to serve. Teach us what it means to serve you, O oh Lord, with gladness. Teach us what it means, Lord, to pour our lives out, expecting nothing in return. Lord, teach us what it means to live our lives for others. Never thinking about ourselves, never looking for ourselves, Lord, just simply living our life with open hands and giving it all away. Open our hands today, Lord. Teach us to live by giving our lives away, even as you have given your life for us. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.